You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey there, fellow human beings. It's me, Bart Campolo. This is my podcast, and it's called Humanize Me. And if you've been around it before, you know that like it's this conversation that we have with kind of interesting people or with ideas, trying to figure out how to make the most of this life. And so we, we, we wrestle with these ideas and we're always trying to ask like, okay, how can this idea or, 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 or this experience be used to build better relationships? And how can we use this information to like work for social justice so that other people can have loving relationships too? And, and, and how do we use it all to kind of accentuate our appreciation for this amazing opportunity we have that's called sentient life? You know, like for, you know, how can we use this to kind of amp up our awe and to pump up our wonder and to be just more aware that this one life that we have is unbelievably precious, precisely because it is rare and because it is finite and we need to make the most of it. So, um, yeah, so that's the conversation. And, and this week, you're gonna, I'm going to throw you a curveball. What happened is, is that I got an email from an old friend of mine from my Christian days, a guy named Shane Claiborne. And Shane had written this book about working against the death penalty. And he, and he sent me a copy. And like Shane and I are really close friends. We, we, I've known him since he was in college. We lived in Philly together. We were kind of working on poverty issues. I actually, Shane's wife, Katie Jo, worked for me when I was running an organization called Mission Year. And later she came and lived with Marty and me and became like one of our favorite sort of adopted daughter types. We just love her. And then they got married and we were there. And this is, this is somebody I really care about. But I'm warning you. Shane's into the Christianity stuff. And so even though we're talking about the death penalty, Jesus keeps sh- showing up and God keeps showing up in the conversation. And I love Shane and I, I kind of love the kind of Christian that he is. And so I'm not trying to like debate him. I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to ask him some, some questions about like, how does this work for you? And so if, if like Christian enthusiasm is a trigger for you, like you're warned. But I think it was a really cool conversation. And I hope you enjoy it. And I'd love to hear what you think about it. You should go to bartcampola.org if you want to find, if you want to get in touch with me, if you want to send me podcast show ideas, if you're interested in getting some coaching or, or counseling as you work through some kind of issue with respect to your own kind of journey. Or you might go there because you want to see what I look like. And, and you know, it's startlingly handsome pictures of me. It's all there. But in all seriousness, I I hope you dig this conversation. I sure dug having it. And I'll see you on the other side. So a lot of the people that listen to my podcast, they'll already know who you are. Because like me, they come out of evangelical Christianity. But But a lot of them won't. And so like, I mean, I don't know if you've had to do this before, but like, if you're going to give somebody like a two minute explanation of where you come from, like what you are, who you are, what do you tell people? Well, I can't hide the fact that I'm Southern, so I just get that out, you know, from the get-go. Uh, I grew, you know, grew up in Tennessee, grew up in the Bible Belt and church. Um, I had my own really sincere uh, conversion uh, where I gave my life to Jesus, as we say, you know, got born again. And, Hallelujah. And, 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 um, and you know, I grew up with a very high view of Scripture, 
uh, and no, wait, it's like wait, God's you, word, you, like, you know, you like, things like that. Are um, you like me though? Like, did did you make that deeper commitment? Did you like quote unquote like become a Christian when you were in high school? No, well, I yeah, I, I became a Christian when I was in middle school, high school, and you know, I, I say sometimes I I got born again over and over because there wasn't a whole lot to do in the summer, you know. But we we you know, I I saw a pattern of kind of continually giving my life to Jesus, but it, it didn't always translate into uh, lifestyle changes and even th- rethinking things like uh, the death penalty, for instance, you know, or like how I thought about politics and stuff. Um, in fact, some of it reinforced that. So like even after I was a Christian, I read the Bible and uh, it seemed pretty clear that the death penalty was ordained by God, you know, and uh, I argued liberals into the ground over it in my debate classes, you know, and and, uh, and then I, I took a closer look and, and you know, became really Really troubled by what I see. So in, in a lot of ways, I uh, there's, there's some things that aren't different. I still love Jesus. I've committed my life to Jesus. I still love the Bible. I think it's God's word and authority. But the way that I look at that uh, uh, is, is very different. I mean, for starters, there's like 30 death-worthy crimes in the Old Testament. So if we were that fundamentalist, you know, we'd be executing people for disobeying the Sabbath, you know? <laughs> Yeah. And things like that. So, oh uh, yeah, I mean, I like, and, and one of the things that I'm really aware of because I did it for a long time is, is that you can kind of like when people talk about what does Christianity say about the death penalty, or what is Christianity like? Which Christianity are you talking about? Because like there are seven thousand versions of it, you right? Know? And so. You know, and I always think like, but, oh, but, you know, we're talking about biblical Christianity. I'm like, you can make the Bible do whatever you want it to do. Like, if you want slavery, I got Bible verses for you. If you want to, yeah. if you want to, if you want to, you know, oppress women, I got Bible verses for you. If you want to liberate women or, or end slavery, I got Bible verses for you. You know, you can kind of make the Bible do whatever you want. Um, and, and so, which raises a question for me. It sounds like when you were growing up, you were in a tradition that said where the Bible was interpreted as saying, the death penalty is part of God's plan for the, for the universe. And then at some point in your life, there was this shift in perspective. And, and what is it? And maybe not just on the death penalty, but it's, it seems like you shifted on a whole bunch of stuff where you all of a sudden came into some awareness of sort of the social justice implications of the gospel. What, what, how did that happen for you? Well, so for, first of all, I think that there there are ways that we've used scripture and pitted, you know, like uh, Rich Mullins, the old singer and songwriter, he said, uh, I, I guess that God invented highlighters so we can highlight the parts of the Bible that we like, um, you know, <laughs> you know, the verses that we like and ignore the other ones. And so I, I definitely know that I've been selective in some of my readings. Um, but, you know, what what happened for me is. I started to dig deeper on this stuff, and I saw that we've actually misinterpreted uh, big chunks of Scripture. So, for instance, one of the most uh, memorized verses in the world, even among non-Christians, is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which I had always heard as a way of justifying the death penalty, Uh, you know, a life for a life. Um, And then you look closer, and it's really clear that that actually what was happening there is God was limiting how much harm you could do. You couldn't harm someone more than they had harmed you. So it was an interruption to sort of the spiral of violence, you know? Uh, So 
uh, it wasn't a license for revenge, but a limitation of how far you could go. And, and, and so then, you know, Jesus comes along and says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, there's an even better way. You know, so the fulfillment of that is you may have a right to harm someone back, but that doesn't mean it's, it's right or it's the best that you can do. Uh, so even with that now, you know, we, we would think it's cruel if someone pokes your eye out that you poke their eye out or, you know, we don't rape people who rape. We don't torture people who torture, but like we still have this idea that we can kill those who kill. Um, and, and so that to me, like even with the scripture, you know, Bart, as you think of like these verses that seem like they're at odds with each other, I, I think when scripture seems like it's at odds, like Jesus is the referee, you know, Jesus is the final sounding board for me, the model for my life. And, um, any pro-death penalty Christian uh, has the nagging problem of Jesus, you know, because it's really about grace. And, you know, over and over you see even this case of a capital case where a woman was caught in adultery and humiliated before the town. All the guys are getting ready to kill her. And Jesus says, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. I, so I, I, I think, think that, you know, those are, those are, it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I think in, on some level, the most interesting thing, to me, isn't like what Jesus said, because like, I, as far as I can tell, Jesus is as open inter- to interpretation as anybody else's. Like, I have no access to Jesus. Like, I don't even know if that's what he really said, or if the gospels line up with each other. There's a whole bunch of stuff in the Bible about Jesus rising from the dead bodily after three days. I don't actually think that stuff's true. So that, that calls into, into question the other stuff. The thing that I'm interested in, though, when I talk to a Christian friend, is like when they tell me what what Jesus is like, it doesn't tell me anything about what Jesus is like. It tells me a lot about what they're like and what they care about. Like how they see Jesus usually tells me something about who they are. And so, like when when you said you when you say you like did this deep dive back into the Bible and, and and you're sort of like you know all of a sudden seeing what it really means is this. I'm wondering like what provoked that deep dive like. Because, I mean, it seems like you, you went back in there looking for something different than what you started out with. So, like, what made you want to go look again? Well, what made me look, particularly with the death penalty, is that, uh, I mean, it's really clear that that this is this is a unique issue in the sense that wherever Christians have been most concentrated is exactly where the death penalty has flourished. So the death penalty has succeeded not in spite of Christians, but because of us. Like 85% of executions have been in the Bible Belt. So that states like Tennessee, you know, like where we, we, Tennessee just brought back the electric chair and they did it during the week of Easter uh, as we're remembering the execution of Jesus, you know. And so there was something really deep in that, uh, that we've misunderstood uh, why why Jesus really died and what happened, you know? So this, I look at Jesus and I think Jesus was kind of like water poured on the electric chair to short circuit the whole system and to expose it for what it is and to triumph over that, you know, with love and forgiveness and all the beautiful things that he did. So, um, I think that, that, you know, in that sense, uh, I want to go back and talk, uh, particularly with Christians who have justified, uh, death um, uh, and, and execution because it's it's deeply troubling to me. Why, why, um, why do you think that it, like like why do you think death penalty thrives wherever Christians are? I, 
a couple of things is I, I think that uh, one of them is because we've misused scripture to justify it. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of ways that we, but again, like, why would they do that? Like, why would they like, you know, people like when you have slaves, you, you have a tendency to misuse scripture to justify slavery. Cause you like slavery. Cause it's economically good for you. Like when you're a man, you have a tendency to misuse scripture to like to 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 justify patriarchy because it's like working for you. Why would Christians dig the like why would they go like let's let's find the verses that support this and let's overlook the verses that 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 call it into question. What's the deeper motivation? Sometimes I think we've we've pitted things against each other like God's justice and God's love and they're not separable. You know, I I don't think that uh uh, the, the, some of the ways, the frameworks for how we think of justice is what did someone do wrong and what did, did they deserve as a punishment for that? But I think God's more interested in healing, uh, you know, the wounds of the world than punishing the, the people that did it. So, you know, I, I, I think there's, there's no, also, I'm with you. I mean, like if there is a God, I like your God. Like I'm, I'm down with your God. I, I'm going to tell you one other thing, though. I think that. But I'm just really, trying to figure really out why they, why the other Christians aren't on the why they haven't gotten with the program. <laughs> well, the the good I will say the good news is this: when you ask Americans as a whole, not even just Christians, but Americans, it, is Jesus in favor of capital punishment? Ninety-five percent of them say no. Like it doesn't make any sense in light of Jesus, you know. Uh, and that's true of this is old school justice. Like eighty percent of millennial Christians born after nineteen eighty are against the death penalty. So, like, I think it's on its way out. But I would love to see Christians, you know, on the right side of history uh, on this. But let I want to say one other thing with this part because I think like the other thing is this: the, the, these are the same states of the Confederacy. Um, uh, in in many ways too. So like I grew up in high school with the Confederate flag on everything, um, the the legacy of slavery and racism is still very deeply uh, rooted in the South, you know. And um, and what what's also troubling to me is that exactly where lynchings were happening a hundred years ago is where executions are happening. And it's also true that during lynchings, white folks were having picnics as black folks were lynched and then, you know, going to church on Sunday morning. So I think that like there's, there's this deep, uh, I, I would call it demonic, you know, uh, but I, I think it's something very deep in that. Uh, and our, our friend, Brian Stevenson, you know, he shows this, that you can't separate the contemporary practice of the death penalty from our racial history of, of racial terror and, and lynching. And, uh, and just to like make that crystal clear, like in 1950, when we began to move from, you know, these lynchings to uh, a more palpable way of killing through state sanctioned executions, uh, like black folks were, were about a quarter of the population, but they were 75% of the executions in 1950. And now black folks are 13% of the population, but they're still almost half of death row. And they're a third, uh, over a third of the executions. So there's still, there's, I mean, there's cases in the Supreme Court right now where folks, uh, black folks are arguing they didn't get a fair trial because all the people of color were removed from the jury. I mean, that's happening now. You know, my friend Dwayne Buck in Texas, in his sentencing trial, 
There was an expert witness that said black folks are more likely to be violent than white folks. And that was allowed in this so-called data that said black folks are more likely to be violent than, than, than white folks. And he was sentenced to death, uh, uh, in part based on that testimony. And, and I mean, he's been in prison for 20 years and hasn't ever been had any violent you know, incident or anything. He's, the prison warden says he's a light in the darkness. And yet Dwayne Buck, you know, is is still, I think, one of these cases that was so racially charged. So, you know, places like Texas, Georgia, Florida, the Carolinas, that's where uh, slavery and lynchings were real. And it's where the death penalty is real today. And, and so there's two ways to go from that statement. And one is, you know, like if I was a classical you know, secular thinker, you'd go like, yes. And what, like there, there you see religion poisons everything. But like, I mean, Brian Stevenson, is, you know, he's like one of the, the world's great heroes. And, you know, I mean, his book, Just Mercy is one of, one of the great tomes of goodness um, that's going on out there. And, and, and then you come out with your book, Executing Grace. And it sort of feels like there's this gang of Christians that are sort of going like, hey, we're going to attack this monster from our Christian angle. But, like, you're not alone in trying to attack the monster. Like, there's a whole broader movement of people trying to undermine the death penalty, right? Oh, my gosh. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And I'm, I'm sort of the new kid on the block in some ways, you know. But these, like, a big goal of mine is just to amplify some of those voices. I mean, some of them are legends like Brian and, and Sister Helen Prejean, you know, from Dead Men Walking. But the Pope, man, he's been banging this drum. He's uh, called for... Uh, the whole world to abolish the death penalty and, and to say killing is wrong, whether it's illegal or legal and state sanctioned. Um, and he's not alone. Other popes have done that. Mother Teresa, you know, was a, a powerful voice uh, against the death penalty. Um, uh, Martin Luther King said that, that capital punishment is society's final assertion that we will not forgive. Uh, so, so there's all kinds of voices of folks fueled by their faith. Um, but I'll tell you. But like, I, I'm, I'm interested, like what I'm sort of wondering is I feel like there's a lot of folks that are fueled by their reason who are against this. Like, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There are. And I, I mean, I'm working with tons of those, too, you know, and I think that there, there's, there's so many different people uh, that have been affected by this, too. Like one of the groups that I'm inspired by um, is called Journey of Hope. And they have murder victims' families alongside the families of people executed together saying no to killing, uh, all killing, you know. And they're saying, you know, violence is the disease, not the cure. And all we do is create more pain and more trauma as we, we you know, do the death penalty. So there's so many murder victims' families. But then, you know, in the book, I interviewed this guy, Ron McAndrew, who is a, used to be a prison warden. And part of what he did was oversee the executions. Uh, one of those was in Florida by electric chair, and it went haywire. The guy caught on fire, and he was absolutely haunted and done with that. He went to Texas, got trained in lethal injection, was going to kind of pioneer a more sanitized way of killing. But then he was still haunted when he oversaw these executions. And he said, there's no good way to kill people. And he's still like passionately. Uh, I mean, you can tell he's a prison warden. He's kind of like, you do the crime, you do the time. But like we were not meant to kill. 
it killed a part of the good in me. It, it haunted me, you know. And he is a Christian. I, I mean, he's he's deeply uh, gone on this this faith yeah. journey and everything. So there's all kinds of different people. You know, I, uh, I remember I remember reading a book about a guy who spent a year becoming a prison guard. Like he was a journalist, but he went undercover at Sing Sing, and he couldn't get in there except by becoming a prison guard. Yeah. So he took the civil service thing, and he goes in there, and at the you know as he documents what it's like. He yeah. basically comes to the conclusion that depriving another person of their freedom is unnatural and that it screws with your brain, like it messes with your life, like you're just not supposed to do it. And and, and so it's, it's and I think like the death penalty is a similar thing where depriving another person of their life is just unhealthy for the society that does it. It's unhealthy for the individuals that have to carry it out. And so, you know, even if the person was quote unquote deserving of death, yeah, the cost of carrying out that penalty levies an unfair and like it does more harm to society. It does more harm than than an, than the alternative. And so, yeah. and I and it's, it feels like that you've seen that in the lives of not only the people on death row, but like you've experienced that in the lives of the people that have had to carry out those sentences and in the lives of the family members of victims who thought that's what they wanted and then found it didn't really give them that much closure. Yeah, exactly. And, that, and you know, a lot of folks will say, well, what about the victims? And I think that's a, a not only an appropriate question, it's a really important question, you know, and, and yet the more folks that I know that said, well, if it happened to you, you'd feel different. I'm like, you got to know these folks. Like there are so many folks that have experienced this horror, things I can't even imagine. And yet they found that it wasn't even just for the person that did that. It was for their own healing uh, that they didn't want to see uh, the execution. And some of them, they just didn't want to uh, have to go 15 years to, to court to relive the trauma of what they did. You know, it's just it's, there's so many different reasons that uh, and, and the murder victims families have been the most credible voices on all this. And, and, and some of my heroes and you meet the folks who did actually get an execution for the, the person. And sometimes they have they're still held hostage to what happened to them, to their anger, their hatred. You know, uh, yeah, it's, so, it's, it's funny, like as I listen to you, you know, people often you know, like when I think about what it is about supernatural faith that 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 was liberating for me to get rid of, you know, because like what, like when I finally like admitted there's nothing left here, people like on some level, there's this huge sadness because, you know, it's going to change your relationships with all sorts of people. And you know that it's going to disappoint people. And, and like for me, like I'm losing my job. I'm losing my, my my whole kind of community thing. But there was also this kind of exhilaration, this sense of, oh, man, now I don't have to do all these like theological gymnastics to justify stuff that make no sense to me. And like now, like I, I don't have to like work around things. But 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 when it comes to this death penalty thing, I think that when I... When I hear about victims' families and society, one of the things that I always believed was is that when something bad happened, if you if you handled it right, like if you if you did like those bad things could somehow be made right, like the justice could be done. Like this, yeah. the idea that somehow y- you can even the scales are like, but 
And I think that when you're when you give up the whole faith thing, one of the things that you recognize is is that when a two year old kid gets caught in the crossfire in Chicago and is dead, that there's no fixing it, like mm-hmm. that it's done, and that all you can do is move forward and try to make the world such a place where another kid doesn't have that happen. And and, and it sounds terrible because like in some sense, praying for that kid and hoping for his heaven and all that stuff, like in a sense, it's a way of covering over. Now, this is just a straight tragedy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that when you accept tragedy, it's easier then to let go of the idea that the right punishment will somehow make things better. There is no making that better. Yeah. And and, yeah. and, and I, I think this is just one of the things like, as a, I, I know there are Christians, because I was one towards the end of my Christian life, that sort of accepted like, yeah, this is a bad, this shit happens and, 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 there, and God isn't any part of it and I'm not happy about it. Nobody is. But I think as a secularist, it's even easier to just come to the place where you go like, there's a lot of bad stuff in the world and the way to fix it is not by pumping more bad stuff out there. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what happened in, you know, after apartheid fell in South Africa, they're like, well, and we don't want the death penalty anymore. You know, like that's a part of the old world. There's no place for it. Uh, even Rwanda, you know, after the, the most horrific genocide in recent history, you know, like there's they, they said, we're not going to kill those who did this. Like death was the problem, you know, and, and the Holocaust is the same, like Jews— um, basically have been against the death penalty for centuries, but it's Christians that use the Jewish scripture to justify it, you know. <laughs> but I, I look at that, you know, and, and there's one story that I think of Bud Welch, who his daughter was killed in the Oklahoma City bombing. And, I mean, at the time, he he was like, I wanted Timothy McVeigh to fry. I would have killed him myself if I could get my hands on him. And then he said, but I saw what that was doing to my soul and he was drinking, you know, he's doing, he was, he was miserable. And he, he says, you know, the spirit of God started to work in him. But then he also saw on the news, Timothy McVeigh's dad in this interview, and he's weeping. He said, I felt like I was looking in the mirror. Those were the tears of a dad. And he said, I realized I get to, I get to remember my daughter for the rest of my life for the beautiful woman that she was Timothy McVeigh's dad, the McVeigh family is going to be stigmatized for the rest of their life. And there, and he said, as, he, as he's weeping, I realized like he's lost his son too. And so he went there, got to know Timothy McVeigh's dad, Bud, Bud Welch and him became friends. He said, I have never felt closer to God than when we embraced each other and we just wept and wept. And Bud Welch became one of the most vocal victims of the Oklahoma City bombing uh, against the the death penalty for Timothy McVeigh, you know. And so those are, I mean, it is about, uh, someone said that unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and thinking it's going to kill someone else, you know. And I think that that's what we see a lot of times, too, is that we, it's not just about the other person, but it's about what's really going to heal the wounds in our own heart. I mean, I think it's funny because like a lot of people are surprised by the fact that having left the faith, so many of my values stay the same. And I'm sort of like, yeah, those weren't Christian values. Those are just like human values and, and like forget unforgiveness. It doesn't work. You know, forgiveness is sort of a healthy thing neurologists like we study what's going on there and you just go like yeah carrying around nurturing anger and vengeance towards people that have done you wrong like that's it's it's not healthy 
right on a very you, visceral you, level you look at the places uh, around the world and i mean most of the world's done away with the death penalty right but like you look at the places where it's still is that true alive is that true yeah. listen to this these are the biggest executing countries china right number one is china china kills more than the rest of the world combined but these are the other ones iran iraq Saudi Arabia, and number five, the biggest executing, fifth big, biggest executing country is the U.S. Um, and like those are not countries that are known as champions for human rights. You know, <laughs> I mean, even now, Turkey's, you know, they're saying they're going to bring back the death penalty, or they're, you know, like it's, it's just uh, right. And the rest of Europe saying, oh, if you institute the death penalty, we will not let you in the European Union. Like, right, yeah. like that's just archaic. It's funny that they'll do business with the United States. Yeah. Everyone will do business with the United States, you know, in spite of our egregious human rights record. So, so okay, like, ostensibly, like, you write a book about the death penalty, which is, you know, I read it, and it's totally, like, it's primarily geared for believers, which is, which is great. But I know that you're in conversation with people all, from every kind of background in this fight to end the death penalty. And I'm sitting here in California, and I'm going, like, I think this is on the ballot in November. You know, yeah. like it isn't just Trump and, and Hillary. It's it, it's it's the death penalty. And I guess what I'm wondering is, is that, you know, like for people that are listening to me who go like, listen, love your heart, man. Don't understand the narrative that, that's behind it at all. But like, love your heart and love it that you're working on this issue. What do you want people to do? Like, what what do people of goodwill do on this issue? Yeah, so I mean, California is is a really concrete example because it is on the ballot in November, and you got the biggest death row in the country, you got like seven, almost seven hundred fifty people on death row. But it's also interesting because California isn't actively killing people, but you you spent it's like four billion dollars since the reinstatement of the death penalty to keep the death penalty in this archaic form in California, right? So I. I hope everybody in California will, you know, uh, vote to uh, get rid of the death penalty. And almost every year, a new state is doing that. It's interesting because it's on the ballot in Nebraska, too. Last year, Nebraska became the first state in like 40 years led by conservatives to abolish the death penalty. But the governors put it back on the ballot. So Nebraska's got to vote to uh, fully abolish the death penalty this year in November, too. But then, you know, you look at our whole country. And the good news is, like, I mean, every execution's too many, but we own, there's only a handful of places that are actively executing. And, like, this year, that is Texas and Georgia. Those two states are, like, 90% of the executions. And um, so in Texas and Georgia, there's statewide campaigns on it. Um, I think we got to have good conversations, and we got to amplify some of the voices, like the stories they tell in the book. And I did write some of the book for Christians, but— forgiveness and grace, I think those are universal things. And there's a lot of the racial history and all that. I think we've got to tell the truth about some of that and uh, getting rid of the, the death penalty. In some ways, the death penalty is kind of like Pandora's box. It opens up all these, you know, millions of other important questions. But I, uh, I'm, I'm really optimistic. You know, death sentences are the lowest they've been in 40 years. Executions are the lowest they've been in two decades. And, uh, um, so I think it's on its way out. I just think that we all we all have to be a monkey wrench in the machinery of death. And a good example of that, too, is in North Carolina, it's the medical uh, community that said, no, 
we're not going to participate in executions. It's a violation of our oath to do no harm. We didn't become doctors to take people's life, but to save them. And so they refused to comply. Yeah, and I that's, mean, oddly that's, enough, you know, pharmaceutical companies, the, 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 the most evil companies of, 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 of all, are still, are some of them are taking a moral stand on this issue. Yeah, so I think we can all use our voice, and we can we can. Uh, I think there'll be some concrete things that we try to do. You know, we just camped out on the steps of the Supreme Court, and we're thinking of doing a few other things like that, as far as like kind of turning up the volume a little bit. But um, what are the organizations around which, yeah, anti-death penalty work sort of anything like Amnesty International or who who are the organizations that you go? These are the people that I trust. Yeah, Amnesty is definitely one out there, especially on a global scale. But Amnesty International and uh, but there uh, the the groups I've got a list of them on our website, executinggrace.com. Um, but there, if people are just looking for information, like learning, thinking about it, Death Penalty Information Center. Uh, is incredible, and it's linked up on our site. And then there's conservatives concerned against the death penalty. It's interesting. There's a whole movement of conservatives that are like, we're not sure we trust our government that much, <laughs> you know, or it's much uh, cheaper not to have the death penalty than to have it. So there's all kinds of other reasons. Um, but Equal Justice USA, uh, Equal Justice USA is working all around the country to abolish the death penalty. Um, and Brian Stevenson's group, Equal Justice uh uh, Institute down in Alabama. Um, so those are all, you know, linked up. And then the murder victims groups I love, like Journey of Hope, Murder Victims Families for Reconciliation. Uh, those are people who didn't choose this issue. It chose them. You well, know, I'm, it, I'm speaking about this voluntarily. But And then there's a group of exonerees. We didn't even talk about innocence, you know, but people that were wrongfully convicted. Uh, that group's called Witness to Innocence, and it's led by people who were wrongfully convicted, and many of them were, you know, hours uh, from their execution before they were proven innocent. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, and, and you went faster. It's a good thing this is a podcast, which means that somebody can like rewind 20 seconds and they can write down all the names of all the groups. But I guess the thing is like in, in California, by the way, it's Proposition 62. And evidently you vote yes if you want to repeal the death penalty and you vote no if you want to keep the death penalty. So you, you want to go yes on Prop 62 if you're with us. Um, it's it's very confusing in Nebraska too. You actually vote retain to retain the repeal, and there's a lot of deliberate reasons people made it so convoluted. Yeah, they but always yeah, do that. So yeah, so it's you know you almost have to educate yourself on, <laughs> on how to how to vote. Um, the weird thing for me about Christians and the death penalty, it's it's always been weird to me that that, that the Jesus love and Christians like it because it, it feels like. I don't know who Jesus really was, but the 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 image that everybody has of Jesus, the like that ev- the Jesus everybody likes, the really nice Jesus. I mean, it's so like you said, like what is it, like eighty five or ninety five percent of people are like that guy wouldn't kill anybody. Yeah, um, it's like almost like Holden Caulfield uh, in, in Catcher in the Rye, where he's sort of going like, you know, Jesus wouldn't kill Judas. You know, like I, maybe Paul would. You know, maybe some of these other guys in the Bible would, but no way, Jesus. You know, and sort of like the image that Christians have of Jesus, I get that. Here's the weird one for me. Christianity sort of seems to like circle around the cross and the and the sense in which Jesus's death is required for the forgiveness of sins. And I'm I'm guessing you don't believe that, that Jesus had to die in order for people to be forgiven. But I'm wondering, like, 
what do you do with the cross? <laughs> because, because, you know, like the idea of like, there's this God and, and, and you've, you know, we're all sinners and we all deserve to go to hell. Like, you know, including your really nice grandmother, um, like she deserves hellfire, but Jesus steps in and, and, and God says, oh, well, listen, I don't care who I kill. I just got to kill somebody. And he kills Jesus and we're all off the hook. And I know that that's like a caricature of penal substitutionary atonement. Yeah. But still, when I come across my Christian buddies, they're still sort of like, yeah, I, I, it's hard to explain, but Jesus did have to die in order for God to forgive us. And I'm wondering, like, how does that work for you? Well, I think we need another podcast, but I do think it's one of the most important questions. I, I mean, I have a whole, I have a whole chapter, you know, on the most famous execution in history, thinking about why, like, how we understand Jesus's death, because there are some ways that are toxic, you know, where some understandings is that you know God had a gun pointed at humanity, and then turned that gun and pointed it to Jesus and killed His Son to save us. And I think that there are ways of understanding Jesus's death that. Um, uh, can lead towards things like uh, believing God wants capital punishment or violence or, you know, is a God that's very easy to fear, but not so easy to love. And and so I, I, I see that very differently, you know, and, and I'll, I'll say this, man, I, I think that a, a few, th that there's so much mystery for me in Jesus. And that's why I think like what we do as we remember Jesus in things like the Eucharist or communion, as we take the and eat the the uh, bread and wine, you know that this is a part of what we're doing is identifying with a forgiving victim. And when you do that, it should change us. Um, it should cause us to be sensitive to the victims of violence. Um, I, and and you know I I think part of what Jesus did was Jesus died alongside of other people who were being executed, you know, with someone on his left and on his right as he was crucified. And what that did for black folks during the lynchings is they understood Jesus was a lynchee. Jesus understands our pain. And I'll say this, you know, to you, Bart, because I love you and I know you, but I think one of the greatest testimonies of the Spirit of God being real and alive is the fact that the black church survived and moved, God worked and moved, and the gospel was realized despite the fact of what white Christians were doing with the Bible in our hand to black folks. And it's that that sense of solidarity. I think that what Jesus did on the cross is the, the most powerful act of divine solidarity uh, in, in the history of the world. And, and so Jesus understands our pain. Jesus triumphs over violence with love. Um, and, and that I mean, gives us hope. I, I, yeah, I guess I get that. But like, it feels like if, 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 if there, if God's really involved in the whole thing, like, you know what I would rather have than somebody dying on the cross next to me is I would just rather have somebody save me from dying. Like if you're God, like if, if you've got some agency here, could you just help me out here? And so, like, I, I've been around all these poetic, beautiful versions of Jesus on the cross. And I, and I get that he's a symbol. He's a symbol of every good thing. Like, the, take the best of everything, and that's Jesus in most people's minds. I'm just—it isn't so much Jesus I got to get off the hook. I'm just trying to figure out, like, what is God doing in that yeah. in that moment, like I, I just can't figure out, like what like if, if if it's about forgiveness, I'm figuring like what couldn't he just forgive us? Like I don't know, like we forgive each other all the time. The person that the cross screws with for me is like that was where the whole idea of a supernatural God 
who's who's actually got some agency in this world. I, I always wrestle with it around the cross because I'm like, if it's if it's to appease God, I've got a problem. And if it's not to appease God, I've got a problem. Because like if it's not to appease him, I'm wondering like, why doesn't he do something? Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I think that what happened in Jesus is that God feels, Jesus feels the pain of the world to the point that this is the mystery, is that God feels forsaken by God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think what that does to us is, I mean, it gives me, it gives me a deep sense of hope that God's not way out there, uh, out of touch with the pain that people go through, but God's very much in touch with it. And God triumphs over it to, I I think what God's doing, what Jesus is doing on the cross is healing, um, exposing, holding a mirror up to the world and exposing the evil we're capable of. But I mean, and, and saying in the end, Forgiveness gets the last word. Grace gets the last word. And, and uh, I mean, I guess what I was where, where else if do you that, see if Jesus that in the world? De- if Jesus' death did all that, exposed it, took care of it, you would think 2,000 years later, like, things would be better. Like, would be, like, if Jesus' death is like this final victory over sin and death, I'm going like, so what's, what's happening? What's going on? Changes everything in the world to know that that God is is with us in our pain, and that that uh, um, I mean, when when I look at where we're at, I mean, some days I feel like we're a lot better off. I mean, you know, we're not doing child sacrifice and all this stuff, but yeah, we. I mean, we. I think we've gone through some kind of spiritual evolutions, but then you know, you you look at things and and they look just as terrible as they ever have. And and what I would say to that is that that's the beauty of Jesus is that he's born a refugee in the middle of a genocide. Like he knows what the, the, the pain of the world is like. He dies on the cross, executed, you know, betrayed by his closest friends, feeling forsaken by God. Like it's a story of a God that's with us, not a God that's against us. Yeah. It's funny. I, I've never thought this before. Like I'm, I'm, and like I said, like, I'm just interested because like, I'm, I'm always like, it's like with my dad, he faces the same stuff that took me out of Christianity and he's managed to stay in. So I'm always interested, like, what keeps him in? How does he do it? How does he understand things? And it's, it's sort of the same with you. The we- well, the, the other thing that keep you know, I get encouraged by is that for the first several hundred years of Christianity, Christians were unilaterally against violence and killing in every single form. Um, and like that we definitely strayed from that. But I, I think that voice is part of the moral framework that I work under is every person's created in the image of God. Anytime we destroy a human being, we are we are destroying a part of God's image in the world. And and that's what Dorothy Day said. She said the true atheist is the one who still doesn't see uh, the face of God in another person, you know, that doesn't see the face of God in the poor. And so I think that's like the, the, we want to see God. We, we, we yeah, see and what's God funny is like, temples, you what, know, what's funny is like what I end up saying to like to the true to the humanist is if life is as improbable a gift as science tells us, then our lives, every life is infinitely precious because it's just so rare. You need to have a, a kind of a, a deep reverence for life itself in every, you know. And so you sort of go like, I think if you can't see the wonder of the universe and the the, the, the kind of like the amazingness of 
the, the, the generation of sentient life in every phase. Yeah. You know, so like there are a lot of ways to make somebody to make every individual infinitely valuable. Um, and, I, and I think that's one of the places where I really appreciate y- y- the way you talk to your tribe, because I feel like there's a lot of Christian teaching that somehow makes some people more valuable or more important to God than other people. And I love it when you're sort of like, hey, if you understand my version of Christianity the right way, you're going to see that like everybody's infinitely valuable. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I, I, if, I'll tell you one last story is like, I, I think that, uh, um, there was a case in Georgia last year, Kelly Gissendainer, when she was, uh, uh, it was an interesting case actually, because she wasn't the trigger puller, as they say it, like she was a part of a, uh, kind of plan that ended up with her, her ex-husband getting killed, but there was another guy that killed her and he didn't get the death penalty. In fact, he'll be up for parole in a few years, but she got the death penalty, even though she didn't directly kill him. Um, and she ended up having this, uh, really powerful, uh, spiritual awakening in, in, uh, jail. She, um, uh, did everything she could to heal some of the stuff with her family. And, um, and, and then she faced execution. And when she first, uh, I mean, it galvanized so much energy. There were like a hundred thousand people that signed the petition to stop her death. And, uh, the Pope and other folks got involved. Anyway, as, as, uh, she went to face her execution, it was snowed out in Georgia. Uh, which is rare in Georgia, you know, <laughs> it gets snowed out and everybody was like, oh, that's God, you know, maybe God snowed out. And then the second execution date was set and, you know, we're praying and we're working. And then um, the right at the last minute, the executioner says that there's something wrong with the poison. It looks cloudy, the lethal injection poison. So they stopped the execution. We're like, wow, she's not going to be killed, you know, and the momentum keeps building. And then in the end, a third execution date was uh, set after she's already appealed that it's cruel and unusual punishment to face your execution over and over again, uh, you know, loses that. She goes to the third execution date um, and she's killed. And everybody's asking, where's God in that? You know, like, like her, her kids who have had their dad killed have done so many years of trying to reconcile with their mom and now like so much progress on that. And then she's now killed. Uh, and she's saying she's, you know, in love with Jesus. And so she, she said, if I go, I'm going to go pointing to Jesus. And she went out. Her last words were singing amazing grace as the state of Georgia killed her. And I look at that and I, I still don't, you know, I don't know what, what happened to the poison, why it went cloudy or it was stopped. But all I know is that what she did was she pointed towards the God that she knew and loved in the middle of all that. I don't think God's most perfect will was for Kelly Gissendainer to be killed. I don't think the world's better off without her in it. Um, but I do find God, I guess, in the middle of all the cracks and the darkness. And, um, and you know, and, and it's funny, Shane, because some of the people that listen to this podcast, they will hear you say that and they'll go like, Bart, what the hell are you doing? Like, I, I spent my whole life trying to get away from that kind of, of Pollyanna, make sense of it you know, like, or I don't understand it, but it's still beautiful thinking. And, and, and to me, like, what I have to be honest and say is like, I don't find anything you're saying credible. I can't believe it, but I do find it beautiful that you can like in a weird way, your faith says something about 
the human spirit. And it says something like, like, and, 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 and you know, that's like the best you're going to get out of me. Like, there's, <laughs> right? like, 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 you know, like, but, but I think it's important for people who have been I was getting ready to pray with you and get you born again, yeah, again, yeah. man. <laughs> you, you, you keep doing that. Like I would say to people, don't pray, don't pray for me, pray to God. Like, you know, that God's the one who's got to give me faith. But I think like, in some sense, this woman dies and somehow you sort of go like, I don't think it was God's will, but I think there's somehow God does, it's, it's beautiful and God does his work in the midst of it. And I sort of go like, that strikes me as kind of insane, but a, but it strikes me as a very, a very sort of kind spirited insanity. And, and, and I think that that when you're a person of faith, I mean, I think that that's a really good testimony is if somebody who thinks it's all insanity looks at you and goes like, yeah, but you wear it well. And it seems to be bearing good fruit in your life. And it seems to be making you somebody who fights against the death penalty. And, you know, in, in some sense, when I hear somebody who's able to make all those jumps and get to the place where they're like, look, I know the Bible says this, this, and this, but it also says this and this, and I interpret it this way, and I'm going to go fight the death penalty. A part of me goes like, oh, if that's what your faith does, then maybe you ought to just keep the faith, you know? <laughs> um, like, 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 you know, maybe we're all better off if you keep believing, um, even if we can't. And so, you know, I just, I really appreciate the effort that you're putting forth in trying to speed along this process. And it sounds like the good news is, is it's a matter of time. The bad news is, is that there are some precious lives that are going to get lost in, in the waiting. And, 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 yeah. and it's just not good for any of our, it's not good for any of us that this continues to go on in our land. So, yeah. so I appreciate your work and, and I, I will, I'll say to people, Hey, the, the website is executing grace dot com and, and that's a place where you can get like linked up to a lot of theology that 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 I can't abide by and a lot of activism that I'm that I'm totally down with. And so yeah. um so yeah so thanks man. Thanks for what yeah. you're doing. Thank you man. Love yeah. you. Yeah I, I love, love you too man. I love you too. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> All right baby. Awesome. See you buddy. Bye. Bye. Okay so that was my conversation with Shane. I I, I kind of felt good about ending it by saying Dude, if the faith makes you this way, maybe you should just keep the faith. I'm convinced that for some people, faith from where they are right now to the end of the line is probably the best route. And the, the sign of that is that it bears good fruit in their lives. And I got to tell you, if you saw this guy, if you knew his wife, if you went to his neighborhood, if you saw the way he's living, I'm not giving God credit for any of it. But what I am saying is that it's built around his belief in God. And uh, I'm prone to leave it alone. I'm I'm prone to to talk openly and ask good questions and make it clear to him that there are other ways of getting to the same destination. But I'm, I'm, you know what, I like this guy. And I hope you liked him. And I hope you like me. And I'll see you next week. For more information about the work of Bart Campolo, please visit barcampolo.org.